Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Fancy File Podcast. I am your host, Greg the Scott, and this wonderful day, whenever you have chosen to listen to it, we hope that the Lord will bless you greatly with what we have to share with you today. As we've been going through uh, an incredible series in the book of Revelation regarding the seven churches, and I believe that it's been a, a great encouragement as we just started doing the first one. In chapter two, that's good. Uh, today, I have with me a reduced panel of co-hosts, co-panelists, co-guests, guest stars, stars, superstars, some may say, that are going to help me today to dissect this and share with you and hopefully be encouragement. So to my left and his right, we have with me the Ezrasaurus Rex that some people call Rexy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Enjoying the weather, enjoying the AC to combat the heat. It'd be funny if there's people listening to this around the world in places where it's snowing. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely feels off without Mick here. Normally I have one extra person to think of something clever to say before <laughs> the intro, and now it was it just jumped right to me. Do you have something clever to say? No. No, not this time. You have failed this city. I have. Oh. oh yes. Well. Mick is away for today. He's off doing ministry work, and we're so uh, thankful that within our group that God is using us and raising us up to go out and, and influence hearts and lives. So that's really encouraging. Shout uh, out to Mick. So you get us today, people. You, uh, For those that are big Mickelis fans, Mickelis is not here. No Mick Cage tonight. But he, <laughs> Mickelis Cage will be back, <laughs> hopefully. But you do get Rexy. Woo! Well... Some people are disappointed. (laughs) Too bad for them. This is what they get. Uh, And across from Rexy, we have our token woman, lady, friend of the group, of the podcast group. Uh, We have Melanie. Melanie, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Good. You're not like thrilled and ecstatic? I'm always ecstatically thrilled. Good. Not thrillily ecstatic? That too. (laughs) I made that up. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening, uh, there's a few things we'd like for you to do if you haven't done this already. Uh, is like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff that you can do through the many different social media channels, which includes YouTube. Ezra, what's the name of the YouTube channel? The YouTube channel is Christian Service Church. Is Christian Service Church now? It. I believe it was that from the beginning. We might have gotten some things mixed up in past episodes, but it is... Christian Service Church on YouTube. I didn't know that. I thought it was just a Christian service. Yeah, no, the Christian service was taken, and Christian service was taken, so we had to go with Christian Service Church. That is so interesting. All right, so fo- find that on YouTube. We obviously release the Fancy File podcast in YouTube version, if that's the only way you're listening. That's great. Also, follow, like, subscribe, all that stuff on Facebook, as we have the actual Fancy File Facebook page, and we have the Christian Service Facebook page which Christian Service is the ministry that kind of overlooks the fancy files. Yes. So if you like on either one of those, and and we encourage you to reach out and ask some questions and shout out where you're from, uh, and we would shout you out if you desire that. We would mention your name, who's listening. So if you are interested in that, just let us know. If you have any questions, comments uh, on things we say, Bible questions, maybe there's even topics you'd like us to discuss, please feel free to reach out uh, through facebook and we will be very happy to respond to you and also you can listen to this podcast through many different channels of media i know it's on uh, google i know it's on apple and it's on others it's on spotify is it yeah it is it's on spotify there's so much i don't know about this ministry we're doing very well we're very widespread not very deeply spread but very widespread Alrighty then. So to everyone that is listening, thank you very much. Uh, We hope that this uh, has been a blessing to you as we've been going through uh, different Bible verses. And you may ask, why do you go through the Bible verses you go through? And that's really just through seeking the Lord and feeling impressed to uh, verses that jump out or thoughts that may come across or Bible studies we've been doing. And it's like, this would be a great topic to go through with the group. Because really, the way we do this podcast is actually kind of how we do our own Bible studies, because all of us actually do meet 
pretty regularly throughout the week to study the Word of God. We go through books of the Bible, chapter verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and this is kind of how we do it. We discuss it, read the scriptures. Maybe we might dive in a little bit deeper because we would have more time to do that. If we actually kind of replicated it completely, it would you would get like way too much material. We would never, it would be like three years to go through like a couple of chapters. We wouldn't necessarily want to do that. We want to give people different uh, variety of uh, topics, but this is basically what you kind of see, what you, what you hear, what you get. It's fair. Very exciting indeed. So as I mentioned earlier, we've been, we started a series where we've been going through the book of Revelation. Well, not all of it, but we wanted to discuss the seven churches. I know there are, if you're like jumping in, some Christians kind of get a little spooked out with the book of Revelation. The big scary. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what you and Mick have nicknamed it, eh? Mick nicknamed it. That's fair. Speaking of Mick, by the way, he's released a book. Yes, read it. The link is in the description for Amazon Canada, but it is available on the other international versions. Excellent. So if you're listening to this outside of Canada, uh, don't use the link in the description. Go to your uh, international version of Amazon and search it up. It is called Not at Home by Mick Germain. So just search it up and check it out. It is definitely worth the read. It's a nice short read, very concise, but very, very deep. You will enjoy it. Right. Excellent. Yes. And there may be more books to come. We don't know when. We're not saying whom. But there may be more books to come. And they will be good. Of course they'll be good. Because <laughs> Mick wrote them. Of course. He's the best. No, <laughs> well, he is. He's great. Hi, Mick. Also, shout out to my mom. I haven't shouted out to my mom in a while. So thank Hi, you, Greg's mom. mom. Thanks for listening, Mom. You're our number one fan. That's good. It's good when our moms are our number one fans. That's fair. Yeah. We... Also, another thing. Uh, we have merchandise. Yes, we there's, do. There's t-shirts, sweaters, a sweater at least. There is also a cup, or tumbler, as some people like to call it. And when I say tumbler, I do not mean the Batman mobile from the Christopher Nolan movies. Yep. Robin and I are ordering uh, some merch. We're excited to get it. It's pretty hilarious how i said batman then you said robin and i yes (laughs) because of course as everyone who knows me knows i am batman he's not people but that'd be cool maybe we should have batman on our podcast one day but you already do right (laughs) there can only be one it's batman no it's a scientist batman's a scientist it's not batman all right (laughs) are you a scientist though i wish okay that's fair. I flunked out of sciences and Sejup, so, you know. That will be a testimony for another day, people. Yes, and a story also, for another time. People are like, what's Sejup? Oh. It's college, but in Quebec. Yes. Because case, we're special. In case you didn't know, we live in Quebec, but we're not going to say where. We can let you figure that out on your own. And then a bunch of people start showing up at the door. I found you. Who are you? <laughs> I'm but I'm f- not Waldo. I'm a fancy file fan. They're like, uh-oh. Would you like an autograph? Yeah, Mick will send, no, Ezra will send you an autograph. Maybe Mick too, who knows? That'd be great. Take photos of Ezra, get Mick to sign them, send them out. Good stuff. Okay, but yes, we encourage you to check out the merchandise if you're interested in getting a Fancy File podcast shirt. If you're interested in also some Christian service ministry shirts that have just some with Bible verses on them. And there's also, for those of you who are maybe had liked a certain type of metal music that they have these shirts that are hard to read. One's been released. You can thank Mick for that one. If you like that, that's your style. Go for it. They are oh. pretty cool. And I it, don't even listen to metal. Not yet. No. Not even Christian metal. No, not even striper. No, <laughs> I, I don't really listen to music casually in general. Oh, that's okay. But also I find metal music tends to give me a headache, but I can appreci- Even Striper? I can appreciate the art behind it. Okay, that's right. All right, so I'm going to have you to read for me, Ezra, Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And usually we have Mick reading it, but today we're going to have... stuck with me. <laughs> You're stuck with Ezra. All Go right. for it, buddy. 
Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I'm reading from the New King James, but follow along with whatever version you happen to have. Except the message. <laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs> and definitely not the passion. Ooh. Go for it. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Thank you. Okay. As I said earlier, or I'm going to say it again. We are going through individual churches. Jesus is giving this unveiling to John regarding the state of seven churches that existed, I guess, at, around the end of the first century. There is debate. Obviously, there's always debate within the Christian community on when this was written. I really hope, though, if if you're one of those people that gets super upset over hearing things that you disagree with, I hope you don't disagree with this. Because I know that there are those who believe Revelation was written before 70 AD, and they maybe they get angry if they hear an opposite opinion. I personally believe that at the timing of this, it's in the 90s AD, and that John is, obviously he's on the Isle of Patmos, uh, sent there for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I don't know, but it's kind of like a prison, but on an island, it's probably one of the, I, I, I don't know too much about everything in Roman history, but I think it's a pretty severe punishment. But he was able to write letters and, and send them out. So he gets a vision of Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up. It, it appears within the text that he's in worship on the Lord's Day and that Christ shows up and, and unveiled this beautiful unveiling of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. And then you kind of see him walking among these seven candlesticks or lampstands, depending on the translation you read. And we know that the lampstands are representing seven churches. And Jesus in, has messages for these seven churches. And within the messages, you're going to find there's things that he's, he's happy that they're doing. Uh, there's things he's not happy that they're doing. He's going to tell them, change this. He bring, gives them counsel. He gives them warning. And so as we're going through the church in Ephesus, there's a lot of good things they're doing. But then there was something that also that he didn't like, and that's that they lost their first love. Now, I know that it might confuse some Christians, perhaps, uh, when they find out that Jesus is upset with things that we're doing. Yes. And he will be upset at things that churches are doing. So remember, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is in charge. And since he's in charge, you need to follow along with what he says. He's our, I'll just use this terminology for people in the United States. We get this. He's the commander in chief, so to speak. He's the head of state. He's the head of the church. This is it. What he says, we follow. Now, there is obviously differences of opinions, and I've said this before regarding the meaning of the seven churches. Some people would think that that's it, the messages were this for them, and there's nothing for us to gain from that. If you think that way, I very much disagree because I believe all scripture is given, all scriptures breathe, and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, reproof, sorry. He's given us his word here. It's not just for some people. It's for everybody. Mm. You also have others that think that each church represented a period of time in church history. And it, it is an interesting uh, opinion, a theory. So they would say that the church in Ephesus would have represented really the early church and that they did a lot of good things, but potentially they lost their first love. Uh, maybe that's true. I've, I've heard pastors and preachers that I've, and authors that I like and listen to that have written things about that. Uh, but I don't want to kind of focus on that and, and try to fit it in. Cause when you start doing timelines that could kind of people will be like, I don't want to hear this, but I do believe that even today within our 21st century church, there's things that we can find in these seven churches that can apply to us. And there's warnings we need to take and to listen to what Christ is saying because if, as a church, we're doing things that 
are upsetting the Lord, we would want to correct that. Because he is telling us, this is what I like. This is what I want you to do. So we should listen to that. We should follow that. If we want a church that's successful, we're going to want that. Because as we read last week, when Jesus was talking about, I shouldn't say last week, what we read the last podcast, when Jesus told the church at Ephesus that this is what I have against you, you've left your first love, and then he told them to repent. The consequences of them not repenting was he'd remove the candlestick, he'd remove the lampstand. Now that's not a salvation thing. That's not him saying that I'm going to come and, you know, you're going to lose your soul. What that was is that church would lose its testimony, would lose its light, and would eventually die out or be removed completely. That might actually shock some people to find out that, wait, Jesus would would end a church? That would shock some people. And I do believe today that you'll have churches that they may die out, and the reason is they were not doing what the Lord wanted them to do, and then they just eventually die off. Now, I want to be clear, because I know that I can be misinterpreted on this. I'm not saying that if you have a church and it's just majority older people, that that church is dying off, that the Lord is displeased with that church and he's removing that church and that's how he's doing it. There may be that in a community, the only testimony of believers are older people and that those older people are godly individuals seeking the Lord and that what they're doing is pleasing God. So don't think that I'm in any way saying, oh, if you have an older congregation, that that's it, you're in trouble. Or if you have a church that has lower numbers, that doesn't mean that your church is about to be removed. There could be a church that has massive numbers, maybe even tens of thousands, and has people of all ages, but yet they're doing things that displease the Lord, and he's going to come and remove their candlestick. That church will just fade off or completely just lose their testimony and, and so to speak, the Lord isn't there. And when I say that, I, I don't mean that you know, God's omnipresence isn't there because God is everywhere present. Mm-hmm. But his manifest presence, mm-hmm. his, the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. would not be there. Okay, now diving into verse 6, because we, cause Jesus now actually goes back into telling them something that actually pleases him. And he says, and I'm, I'm personally reading from the King James Version, so warning, trigger alert. He goes, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This church hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, what is the Nicolaitans? There's obviously differences of opinion on that, but... Basically, from from what I've studied and and looked at, it seems that this was a sect or a group that used their Christian liberty as an excuse to self-indulge, especially with sexual immorality. So they perverted the grace of God. They perverted Christian liberty, and they basically had a license to sin. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Jesus hates that teaching. Jesus hates those deeds. That's interesting because there are a lot of differing opinions because the Nicolaitan group no longer exists. That's why you don't have the Nicolaitan uh, denomination today. It, it died out along with Gnostics. Um, but there, so there are a lot of different theories. One theory that I found that I really thought was very interesting, and even if it isn't 100% accurate, because again, we're guessing, we don't know for a fact, uh, I still think that it applies today in the implications that it has, right? Uh, the the version I found regarding the Nicolaitans was that it was a sect that was very submissive to the Roman government. And when I say that, what I mean is, uh, to quote this article from Christianity.com, uh, it says that Roman rule required sacrifice to their gods, Roman gods. Emperors such as Decius attempted to weed out Christians by enforcing sacrifices to various Roman deities. 
those who resisted faced persecution and possible execution. The Nicolaitans appeared to conform to this Roman culture and encourage Christians in Ephesus to do the same in a time of dire persecution. So that's an article I found explaining very briefly what we what might have been some of the teachings of the Nicolaitans, where they were saying, hey, look, this is what the Roman government is forcing upon us on pain of death. Uh, we should go along with it so we're not persecuted or executed. And I think that has a lot of interesting implications, uh, especially on the church today. What do you think, Greg? Well, I want to read this definition here that I actually have in a study Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're an old classic Pentecostal and you're listening to this, you may recognize the name of this, Dakes. By the way, the fact that I'm quoting from Dakes is not a everything that Dake said is true. So don't just be like, oh, Greg the Scot likes it. Everything must be right. But I want to read this thing about uh, what he writes in here, and then I can comment on what you're saying. Because there is there's something similar in, in everything that I'm saying, like what I've said in one definition, what you're saying, and what I'm reading. It says followers of Nicholas, and by the way, interesting, some people believe that the Nicolaitans were somehow connected to Nicholas, yeah, from one, Acts one, one of the seven. Now, I don't, Acts six. I don't, six, I yes, Acts 6, I, I don't know if that's true. But it is interesting. It, well, it is an interesting, if that's the case, it's like, well, what happened to him, mm -hmm. where he was this man of God that was filled with the power of God? and was chosen as one of the seven to participate in this ministry of giving to the uh, the widows that eventually starts this movement. But I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't necessarily agree with that. But if there is information out there to, to back this up, I'm, I'm interested in reading it. But okay, I just want to read this. So the followers of, of Nicholas, a heretic, they are supposed to have been a sect of Gnostics uh, and Gnostics were, they were individuals that believed that they could be given revelation, kind of like this hidden revelation that God would only give to them, I guess regarding who he was and doctrine and, and stuff like that. There was probably more to it. Outside the teaching of Christ. Exactly. So this is extra biblical teachings or revelations that they're getting. So supposed to have been a sect of Gnostics who practiced and taught impure and immoral doctrines such as a community of wives, so I guess um, polygamy, committing adultery and fornication was not sinful, and that eating meat offered to idols was lawful. This was similar to doctrines of Balaam and Jezebel of Thyatira. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you, Melanie, have something you wanted to add to that? Well, before it's I... just this commentary that um, it's the John MacArthur commentary. He says... Um, that Nicholas, who was made a deacon in Acts 6, was a false believer who later became apostate, but because of his credentials, he was able to lead the church astray. So that's his theory, too. And he also connects it to the teaching of Balaam. So I actually may have read the same thing that you read, because I have one of his commentaries. I would want more sources, like, just because someone says it, well, where'd that come from? Mm -hmm. Right? But... He just, says it's from Irenaeus and Clement of Alexander. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so now we have sources. Now we have individuals in church history who are saying that this is quite possibly what could have happened. But you, from what Ezra read from the, was it Christian Post? Uh, Christianity.com. Okay. There's, what we're seeing here is compromise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's compromise here. Not faithful to sound doctrine, not faithful to what Christ is saying, but we're going to compromise and we're going to follow. If it's Gnostics, then they're following their own revelation. Because if they're Gnostics and they're teaching individuals, you can do this. No, no, no. Fornication, adultery, polygamy, that's not saying go for it. Well, that contradicts scripture where the word of God clearly says these things are sin. Not only that, but those who practice these things are not inheriting the kingdom of God. So they're basing their doctrine off of hidden revelation. Or if they're telling people somehow it's connected with, what was it about? Yeah, so the article I was reading was about how the government was enforcing idol worship and the Nicolaitans were supporting it saying, hey, we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be executed. So we should all go along with this idol worship and incorporate it into our beliefs so that we don't get in trouble mm -hmm. or killed. And of course they were encouraging 
the Church of Ephesus to go along with it, according to this article in particular. But regardless, it follows that same vein of allowing compromise mm-hmm. to come into the church. Mm-hmm. Well, this teaching is hard, and we don't really want to uh, have to fight with this, so we'll bring it in and incorporate it into our beliefs. Or, well, the government is telling us we should be doing this, so we don't want to get in trouble with them, so we'll incorporate it. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is just that there's compromise being mm-hmm. brought into the body of Christ. So if they were telling people, believers, it's okay to idol worship, there is, in this commentary, you know, talking about how they were telling people it was okay to eat meats offered to idols. And there was a lot of teaching in the Bible about that. I think in Acts, when they're, I think it's Acts 15, the whole Gentile question, mm-hmm. because there was individuals that, that will, I think we call them Judaizers. They came out of the church at Jerusalem and they were going telling Gentiles, you have to follow the law. Mm. So then there was a conference, if you want to call it a conference, but they had a meeting on this and they sent out a letter and basically it's like, no, 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 you're, you're Christian liberty. You, you're not following the law. But then there were some things like obviously fornication, abstain from that. Uh, and then I think idolatry as well. And then there was something about like, not eating things with blood and um, probably like uh, meat that was offered up to idols. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul even addresses that. He's like, look, if you're in the marketplace and there's meat, don't ask questions, buy it. You're fine. You're okay. But if you find out it's offered to an idol, don't for conscious sake. And for your testimony, don't take it if you're i think he even addresses it in corinthians if you are invited to like a party or a whatever you know, it's a party we'll say party and you go or dinner and they bring out food don't ask questions but if they tell you it's offered up if this was offered up to an idol don't touch it that still applies today by the way if you are invited somewhere and you find out the food was offered up to an idol do not eat it not that you would somehow, like, the meat would poison you or anything like that, but it's just for, this was set us p- apart in, in some type of demonic demon worship, act, idolatry activity, just don't participate in it. So if they're telling you this is okay, that clearly contradicts scripture, and who's it putting us the authority? The government. Whoever, or whoever is in charge here. So, and that's not where our authority comes from, mm-hmm. uh, like for obeying doctrine. I, obviously, there's scripture verses about obeying the government. We're not going to dive into that today, you know, about, well, when, when do we not obey government? But st- the idea is, look, if the word of God says something and then someone comes along, either through private revelation or government or, or someone just makes it up, you follow the Lord. And so Jesus is saying here that this compromise, obviously what we're reading is not good. They're telling people you can participate in sinful activities. It's not wrong. Jesus says some hard, he has a hard reaction to this, which is, I hate. I also hate. Now, I want to look at that for a second. Because I think, and I've said this in some past podcasts, it's the whole you're not acting like Jesus. I think there would be some where they would apply this and be like, Jesus, you're not acting like Jesus because the Jesus that they've created would never say something like this. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. When it says here in Revelation 2, verse 6, when it says, Thou hast this, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What does it mean here when it says that he hates? Ezra. Well, in my opinion, it's very clear to me that he's very clearly referring to the the compromise and the teaching that draws people away from Christ. Right. Right? They're, not to get into the debate, it's a podcast for another time, but to me, I think it's very clear that Christians can lose their salvation in the sense that they're 
righteousness that was bestowed upon them through Christ and being within Christ and being in relationship with Christ can be revoked if they deny Christ or if they walk away. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying. Like these teachings of the Nicolaitans allowing compromise into the church, like these remove the salvation that Christ paid for because you're, you're causing believers to sin. You're causing believers, people who are seeking righteousness, they're seeking after Christ to fall into idol worship or to fall into sexual immorality and telling them that it's okay and so they're not repenting of their sin. Like John very clearly says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yes, I believe that. And I do believe that if you're hit by a bus before you ask God for forgiveness, you will still have the grace of Christ covering you. But if you're living in such a way where you're not repenting, whether you acknowledge what you're doing is sin or not, you're living a lifestyle, you're practicing sin, I do believe that that will hinder your walk with Christ and even potentially leave you, lead you down a road where you are no longer saved. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to. The teaching of the Nicolaitans, I hate that. Why? Because it is compromising true doctrine and leading people down a road to damnation. I think, um, as I said it very well, but there's something to be said when a false teacher leads people astray. It's such a sad, sad thing. And I think that's why Jesus is saying, well, I mean, there's probably other reasons, but I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus says, I hate this because of what it's doing to people. Um, and the commentary here says, uh, let me just find my place. It says the Nicolaitans followers of Nicholas, that's a theory, obviously, uh, were involved in immorality and assaulted the church with sensual temptation. Um, Clement of Alexander says, they abandoned themselves in pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence. Their teaching perverted grace and replaced liberty with license. So that has a direct impact on the gospel, right? Because when people are perverting grace, that's an awful, awful, awful thing. And there's a lot of consequences that come with that. And so I think Ezra explained it very well. It's very clear why this would offend Jesus. Yeah. And I think most people wouldn't have an issue with thinking that this could offend Jesus. I think where the issue would come in for some is the word hate mm-hmm. that is used in, it's definitely used in the King James. I, I don't know every translation because I didn't read it. And maybe some translations will try to soften the blow. But I want us to think of something because when we think of hate, especially today, we think of like hate crime or hate speech. So obviously it's a very negative thing. And yes, because hate within a human being can bring out very negative emotions Mm. and cause us to do things that are wrong. But I want us to think of this. When you love, okay, there's going to be things that you hate if it's destroying something or someone you love. Mm. So, for example, if you have a young child and you love that child, if somebody wanted to harm that child or bring destruction to that person you're going to hate what that person's doing if they if they did it because you love and so i think here when it talks about jesus hating something it's it's he's hating that which would destroy that which he loves Mm. so it's not jesus like this is a hate crime kind of idea Mm. this is his reaction to doctrine that is destroying lives Mm. and he sees within his church that their reaction to the doctrine is the same as his Mm. now i want also to point something out he says you hate the deeds of the nicolaitans he's not talking about hating people he's hating what they do and as Christians, we will have a strong reaction to that. Like when, if you see, for example, someone that's going and doing like mass murder, a serial killer, 
anything that's really destructive, your reaction to that is not going to be like passive. As a Christian who loves life, who cares about people, and everyone is created in the image of God, you're going to hate the fact that people are being murdered. Mm. It's the act that we hate. It's not the people. Jesus is not talking about hating the people. He wants people to be saved. The heart of God is for man to repent. There's a verse in the Bible that the Lord says, I get no pleasure out of the death of the wicked. Or uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Amen. So, make sure you read the text clearly. This is not encouraging anyone to have hate towards people but towards deeds towards action and false doctrine jesus hates yeah he hates it do how do you feel about false doctrine those who are listening are you okay with it and yes i am aware that within christianity we have differences of opinions on things that some christians would label as false doctrine And other Christians obviously wouldn't. And I'm not talking about obviously things like that. Differences of opinion or agreement uh, within the church. Because there are things I can mention right now that many Christians disagree on. The gifts of the Spirit. Christians disagree whether that is for today. I'm not talking about going around and and hating that. Or Christians who have difference of opinion about the role of a woman. In the ministry, and they get very heated on both sides. I'm not talking about hating that, uh, or the is there a rapture? The timing of the rapture. I'm not talking about hating that. I'm talking about blatant error that will damn a person's soul to hell. Mm-hmm. Your opinion on women in ministry will not damn your soul to hell. Mm-hmm. Your opinion about uh, if there's a rapture. When the rapture is going to happen, all that will not damn your soul to hell if you're wrong. But this doctrine that compromises the word of God, that gives a license to sin, can damn a person's soul to hell. And Jesus hates that. Yep. Yep. And I think it falls into what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, right? We always hear this passage preached at uh, at weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. But let's look at verse 6, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Mm. Followed by verse 7, it always protects. Right? Mm. Amen. Good. So if you truly love someone, you're not going to be passive when yes. they're destroying themselves. Yes. Mm. You're not going to be passive when they're falling into sin. You're not going to be passive if somebody comes and tries to steal them away or to steer them down a wrong path. So as a result, Jesus is very much living out what love is. Mm. He loves his church, the body. He loves his ecclesia. He died for his church. And so he is going to hate any doctrine that will damage, destroy, or damn his church because love does not delight in evil Mm. and the teachings of the Nicolaitans are evil and Christ hates them as a result. He does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Mm. Okay. That's really good. Do you, the listener have a strong reaction to erroneous teaching, like blatant destructive error, error that perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you care? Do you care or do you go, oh, it doesn't matter. They all believe the same thing anyways. Oh, they all say they believe in Jesus. But then when you find out that the Jesus that they believe in, the gospel that they teach, their view of grace is wrong. Do you stand for truth? Do you resist those doctrines and expose those who teach it and follow it? What about churches? Because this is directed to a church. As a church, they exposed this. They were exposing false apostles. 
and they're hating these wicked deeds of this group called the Nicolaitans. A good church, a church that pleases the Lord, needs to expose those who are teaching dangerous, erroneous error. And again, that is within the realm of the perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives a license to sin. Yes, I know, again, going back to the difference of, of opinions, yes, a church can have a different opinion regarding certain things and still speak out and say, we believe this is wrong. That is fine. But understanding the difference between this is something within the church that we can discuss and have scriptural de debates and uh, compare scripture to scripture compared to those who are coming in and they have doctrine that will destroy life. Mm -hmm. If you are not a part of a church that is warning against error, that church is on dangerous ground mm -hmm. with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I have this chapter that's coming to mind, John 10. So Jesus gives this example. Well, he calls himself the good shepherd. And so he gives the example of if ever he's talking about himself as the good shepherd so a shepherd has a shepherd has sheep and so if um like a wolf comes in he says that he would obviously um like protect his sheep and that he would do whatever is possible to save them and so if ever the person was a hired hand the person probably wouldn't care to protect the sheep he'd probably like want to care his uh, care about his own life um, and it talks about, um, like the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus comes to give us eternal life and life more abundantly. Yeah. And I've heard that that specific verse was about false teachers. And so I don't know, I'm just like making connections in my head where it's like, if we bring in things into the church, I think it's the pastor's responsibility to like, first of all, if someone comes into a church and preaches something the pastor has a responsibility to be like, hey, this is not good. Like, right. let's remove this. Like, you know, and let's protect the flock from this. Or if people in the church are following a specific preacher, if they're all listening to these things, the pastor has to be like, hey, guys, like, I have to address this on Sunday morning because you guys, I don't want you guys to be led astray and I want to protect you from that. And so... And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. Like he wants to keep us from falling into um, this trap that false teachers can can lead us into. Yeah, yeah, good point. Verse 7, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is the promise that God, Jesus gives to the church. And he says that he that hath an ear. This is what God is saying and speaking to the churches. And I believe this is what God is speaking to the churches today. His opinion on this these type of issues hasn't changed. How he feels about false apostles. How he feels about uh, doctrine or teachings that encourage sin that encourage wicked living, that encourage indulgence into that which is evil. He still hates that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This was written, this is not Old Testament. This is, this is in the New Testament under the New Covenant, which still applies to us today. Do you have an ear? Are you listening to this word that Jesus is speaking to the churches if you're in church leadership, if you're a pastor, do you hear this? Are you heeding the warning that has been given? Are you listening? Are you repenting that potentially if the church, your church has lost its fire, that you would repent and have a sold out, passionate, zealous, on fire love for Jesus Christ? Are you doing that? Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep seeking him. Keep pressing into the word. Keep doing the work of ministry that he's given to your church. Keep defending the faith. Keep exposing evil practices. Don't quit. It doesn't matter if your church is... I mean, I understand that we want a lot of people. I get that. We want the church to grow. But don't allow numbers to compromise 
And then what is the promise that he says mm -hmm. for the overcomer? I will give to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Mm. What is our reward? Heaven is the reward. Tree of life. The overcomer. And what does it mean to be an overcomer? Well, 1 John 5, 4 says, uh, actually, can, can you, would you be able to quickly look at 1 John 5, 4? 1 John, 1 John 5, 5, 4, yeah. 1 John 5, verse 4. 1 John 5, 4 in the New King James says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So who's the overcomer? Mm. Christ. Right, but... <laughs> <laughs> Those for, who are in Christ. Yes. Mm. But how do we overcome? What does it say there? Faith. Faith. Yes. So Jesus actually has a message for those in churches like this. Churches that have lost their first love. Because maybe that church isn't coming back. Mm. But what is his message to the individual? Mm. Overcome. Don't do what they're doing. Mm. That's actually a warning and an encouragement in a way. Mm -hmm. Because it can be very easy for Christians to just go along with what the church is doing. Right? This is my church. That's my pastor. This is what we're doing. We're going along with it. What happens when you see within your church they're going in a direction that you know is unbiblical? What happens if the church starts adopting these of the Nicolaitans? Or they bring in an apostle and he starts prophesying things that are wrong? What happens if the church starts explaining away doctrines? Do you just go along with it? Because that's what we do. That's the church you've gone to your whole life. That's your pastor. You love your pastor. You don't think your pastor is out to get you or do wrong? No, Jesus says to the overcomer, you have a personal walk with Jesus Christ. Your walk with Jesus Christ isn't, and I want to be careful how I say this, but it's not, oh, I go to the church, and when I'm in the church, therefore I'm in Christ, and what the church decides, that's the will of God, and I have to go along with that, and I'll be held accountable for that, and therefore my walk with God is, is tied up to everything the pastor says and does. That's idolatry. Yes, it is idolatry. You follow Christ. He died for you. Not the church building, not the pastor, not the denomination, not the denominational leader, not the apostle, not the prophet, not the evangelist on TV. They didn't die for you. Jesus Christ died for you. Mm. And if you follow along in error, you will be a part of the problem and you're going to be a part of that church that gets its candlestick removed. No, he's calling the individual overcome. Are you truly born again? Are you truly saved? Because really the overcomer is those who are truly saved. But if you're not listening to what the Spirit is saying and walking in faith, you're going to get caught up in this stuff. Mm. We don't serve men. We serve Jesus Christ. He is your Lord and Savior. And I will say this, because I know when it comes to teachings about churches, it can be tricky. Because I'm not attacking the church. The church the church is, is, is God-ordained. And I'm not attacking the office of the pastors. The pastors are God-ordained. I love what God is. I love God's church. I love pastors. However, the church building does not save you. The pastors do not save you. And if they get astray and they're doing things that are unscriptural, they set themselves up and that entire church up for disaster. So if what I said troubles you, you need to overcome mm. and you need to repent and get on fire for Christ. If the whole church decides to go in a direction that's wrong, you don't go in that direction. You get on fire for Jesus. And yes, maybe the Lord still wants you to be there so that he can use you in that setting in some way. 
to, I don't know, see things that are changed. I don't know. I don't know how God is going to use you there. Maybe God is calling you out of something that's a mess. Or maybe your church is walking in the ways of the Lord and doing things that are pleasing him. Amen. Amen. But I know this. And as we're going to go through these seven letters, the vast majority of the churches had problems. And I know there is no perfect church. I know that. I am not implying there is. But the good thing is, is that we do not have to just accept there's no perfect church and just go along with it. Oh, there's no perfect church, so it doesn't matter. Amen. No, 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 no. If there's issues there and we see these issues and we see what is clearly laid out in the word of God, specifically here, their problem, they've lost, they've left their first love. If that has happened in the church, that church needs to repent and get on fire and do the first works. If you as an individual have left your first love, you need to repent and get on fire and be passionate for Jesus Christ. Be on fire for Jesus Christ because that is what he's worthy of. Amen? Amen. I think we can put the fancy file Back account in, in the cabinet regarding verses 1 to 7. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I am Greg Scott, your host, along with Rexy and the Mouthflow Melanie. God bless and have a very good day. Bye.